The reason diets, quote unquote, don't work is that if you've ever talked to anybody that's on a diet, they just talk about what they can't have anymore. And when you do that, you really defeat yourself because the first thing that you do when you come off that diet is that's that's the thing you can't wait to devour. So you can't look back, you have to look forward. And that's why diets don't work. And so I talk a lot about focusing forward, about the, the new energy you're gonna have, the health you're gonna have, but also you're gonna take all that flavor and you're gonna make it love you back. Ooh, I love that, love you back. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 48 from season 4, number 243 overall. And today we will be joined by Shira Aguirre. She is a woman who proudly boasts about being well into her senior years. But she's also more fit and more flexible and healthier than she was in her 30s. And with that good health comes more energy. And it's the kind of energy that is contagious. It is impossible to speak with Shira and not become excited. You just kind of get lost in what it is that she's saying. And then you're so revved up that you're ready to go out and find your own way back to health, even if it's a journey that you never thought that you would be taking. And her story is one that began many years ago when she was a fast food creature of habit. And as time rolled by those daily trips to the greasy spoon, they began to add up and it began costing her her health. She began to experience some issues, a number of which were alarming, giving her family's history with heart attacks and strokes. And so she knew that she wanted something better for herself. And just as this one-time entrepreneur grew her company from the first brick to this ultra-successful business, Shira began to build her own health, and she laid that foundation with a healthy diet. And wouldn't you know, just like that business as well, she found success. Shira is here to share her remarkable story with us and to talk about her new book, Joyful Delicious Vegan. Three words that sum her up to a T. My next guest is an author, an entrepreneur, and certainly an inspiration. Her new book, Joyful Delicious Vegan Life Without Heart Disease, is a fantastic read, and her story is equally as fantastic, and I am so thrilled that she is here with us here today. Shara Aguirre, thank you so very much for being here. Oh, you're so welcome, Chuck. I I really appreciate your having me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure that you're here. You are just, I don't throw around the term inspiration lightly. I just look at you and your story and I'm just blown away because it's proof that, hey, old age, and I I don't mean that as an insult. I'm just throwing (laughs) that out there. It doesn't mean that that you you have to be refined or or, uh, resigned to sitting in a, in a a wheelchair or becoming disabled. You're, you're out there, you're doing yoga, you're getting it done still. I love it so much. 
Well, you know, um, I, I feel very uh, fortunate, you know, and, and it's my gratitude for just the help that I have and the energy um, that, that keeps me going. I mean, it's I wake up and I'm excited to see what the day has to offer. And you mentioned energy and right off the bat in the book, uh, in the introduction, you talk about how um, back in the day you would eat that typical fast food lunch, a lot of fat, a lot of calories. And then you said basically within an hour, your energy would just plummet. Is, is that, you know, what kind of foods were you eating? And when did you make that connection between, hey, you know, food, uh, food is fuel. And if you're not eating the right stuff, man, you're not going to have a very well-tuned engine. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, let me say I, I grew up in Texas. I live in Houston. So we're a meat-eating, you know, state. And uh, so I was eating the typical fast food lunch, fried chicken, um, burger and fries, pizza, uh, boudin, which is a Louisiana cousin of a, of a, of a sausage. <laughs> and uh, so I was eating all that stuff. And uh, I noticed I began to make um, a connection between what I ate and how I felt afterwards. And uh, my, my energy would absolutely flatline like in the middle of the afternoon. And, and I like to joke about not having five hour en- energy drinks available back then because I may <laughs> have just to that as like a quick fix, which would have allowed me to keep doing the, the things that were leading to the, the real reason behind the, the lack of energy. Yeah, you know, and it's funny. I was speaking uh, on the show as we record this. It was just yesterday. I was speaking with one of our dietitians, Lee Crosby, about food and its impact on your energy levels. And right. I mean, she was able to paint the picture as clear as day, very scientifically with her background um, ab- about what happens versus, you know, say when you eat that Big Mac versus when you eat a handful of strawberries and how differently your body reacts to it from top to bottom. Right. And it's so fascinating. And for me, what I've realized is that it's it's not just a physical feeling, but it's also like mentally, I feel like I have more clarity. And that just brings me, as you say in your book, you know, this joyful feeling. Right, right. It's joyful. It's light. Uh, it's energetic. And it's compassionate. I mean, we're being good to ourselves. We're being good to our bodies. Um, yeah, I, I talk about story uh, in the book. Um, about 11, 12 years ago, I, I, my mom had passed and I was facing some burnout at work and, uh, I decided to, uh, take a break. I was exhausted. So I went to this little spa, uh, not a fancy place. It was in the middle of the desert. Uh, but the woman who ran it, um, was about 60 something, uh, fiery, energetic. So she really inspired me. But the one moment that I will never forget was uh, in one of her sessions, she told us a story and she talked about um, how important, obviously self-care is. And she talked about food and her story was that our cells are trillions of cells uh, from the moment of conception all the way through our lives are working 24 seven tirelessly to keep us well and to keep us healthy. And despite what we do, uh, our choices that may be not so good, uh, the choices that are detrimental, they keep trying. They never give up on us until uh, at some point, if we don't make a change, they can't, they just can't do it anymore. So then we get the diagnosis that, you know, we don't want. And that touched me in a way, Chuck, that um, 
when I went back to my little cabin, you know, that night, I just cried, you know, because um, to think that there's so much love uh, that we are the beneficiary of, and we don't even think about how it happens. We don't know how it happens. So we take it for granted. Um, So that also fuels my joy. It's like, how do I reciprocate the love that my body is already um, giving me? Right on. It's paying it forward to yourself, right? That self-love. I I don't think that I really have thought about it quite in those terms, but yeah, that's a, that's a powerful statement you just made. That's, that's really profound. Well, it it was, it was, you know, Susana uh, Belen who owned that little spa in the desert. And um, so her, her therapies there were based on food. It was all plant-based uh, and so that moment, I will never forget. It's sometimes uh, I think, Chuck, that you meet the right person at the right time in your life and it just changes your perspective. Mm. It's funny how life works like that, isn't it? Um, yeah, let's talk a little bit about uh, your transition over to that plant-based diet. I believe you said in the book that it was kind of a gradual uh, transition for you, right? Like you, you did vegetarian first and it wasn't until long after that, that you went full blown vegan. Is that right? That is absolutely right. I'm, I'm, I've had a very slow journey. You know, some people, um, people are different, you know, some people, when they decide they're going to do something, they jump in, you know, I'm not really a jumper. I'm kind of a plotter. I kind of do it little by little. So, um, once I started realizing the energy issue I was having, I just cut back on the greasy stuff. I knew that was bad for me anyway. So I cut back on the fried foods. Uh, donuts were like, you know, a morning thing for me. I gave them up first. And over the next 20 years, I just ate mostly uh, a mostly vegetarian diet, but I still ate the dairy uh, and fish, uh, eggs, dairy, fish. Um, but in my 50s, my blood pressure started to creep up. And I was thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> this is not supposed to be happening to me. I'm eating pretty well. You know, I'm actually eating better than most people I know. And I'm, I'm active. So I was really, I got really depressed about it. I kind of felt like a failure that everything I had been doing uh, was not working. And because of my family history of heart disease on both sides, uh, that was so prevalent. And, and I grew up watching my parents uh, take blood pressure medications throughout their whole lives. Um, and so I started to think maybe that was my destiny. Um, so basically, I had to go on medication and I did. Uh, but I was I, I just, again, thought that I could do better. I said, you know, I, I, I know I can do better because I started to have some side effects. And, and the one point uh, that was kind of the showstopper for me where I knew that I just had to continue to try to find a way to be more healthy, uh, maybe reduce the medications, maybe get off of them. But the one incident was that I decided to take a friend to lunch. And um, she's an elderly friend. I picked her up. We got on the freeway. We were laughing, talking, having, having a good time, actually. And all of a sudden, I started to fade. Um I, I felt like I was going to black out. And so I, I, I was panicked. I gripped the steering wheel. I was trying not to show her my terror. And the only thing I could think of is to try to get off this freeway. So I slowly made my way to the next exit and was able to get off. And just as 
as soon as I got on the, the surface road, it just passed. The feeling just went away like it never happened. And, mm. and I don't know how that may or may not have been connected to the medication, but it had never happened before. And I had had a similar couple of incidents in the evenings where I would feel lightheaded. So I just knew that I had to do more uh, to help myself and to find a way. Yeah, I would imagine that's a step beyond terrifying. You're on the freeway and, and that starts to happen. My gosh. Um, talk about a wake-up call. Um, I, how high was your blood pressure before you started taking that medication, just out of curiosity? Well, you know, it actually wasn't um, in the danger level. It was like in the 140s, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but consistently there, maybe occasionally 150, but somewhere in the 140, 140. 30 to 150 range would be where I was. Do you remember what your parents' levels were? Um, Because I I mean, like so many others, you you said like, I thought that this was just my destiny because, you know, basically as long as you can remember, they had been taking the medication. Well, the the thing that, the other thing that got my attention um, also is that uh, it it wasn't just the hypertension, it was heart attack, stroke, aneurysms, and it started to affect my generation. Uh, my grandmother, actually, I'll say before um, uh, before all of that, had a stroke at my age, about my age, which left her partially paralyzed. Um, she regained some functionality, but not all. And uh, my grandfather uh, died of a massive heart attack in his mid-50s. Um, and then it was the same on my dad's side. I had an aunt who passed away after a simultaneous stroke and heart attack. I had a, another aunt that had an aneurysm and, and died uh, in a coma. So it, it was just so much. But then when it touched, started to touch my generation, cousins that were younger than myself, uh, that really uh, got my attention as well. I had, um, I'll tell one story. There were a couple who died in their 40s that had high blood pressure and were on medications and thought it was under control. Um, the one that really rocked our family um, to its core was uh, uh, one cousin, 40, early 40s, uh, was active, uh, was getting ready to go on a, a vacation with his wife. They were at the airport. Uh, he got stuck in security, told her to go ahead. He'd be right there. She goes and waits. He doesn't show up. Uh, so then she starts backtracking, thinking something happened in security that he was held up, saw a small crowd gathering in the concourse. And then when she got to the front of the crowd, there he lay. I mean, my cousin was there, uh, her husband, his first heart attack and fatal. And he too was active and thought his blood pressure was under control uh, with the medications. Mm, mm. That, that is a serious wake-up call. I think, just my opinion, I think that we do, by and large as a society, get lulled into this sense of security that if you're taking a pill for this, it's yeah. okay. That's kind of the cure-all. And clearly, unfortunately, in this instance, that was not the case whatsoever. And that goes, I think, to the importance of getting this message out there um, mm-hmm. that is in your book that us here at the Physicians Committee, we, we talk about that. No, I mean, there's so much more that goes with it. There are so many more components here. Um, and that if you don't address the underlying cause here, you, you, you're still, you can still be in pretty rough shape, you know? 
Well, and that's so true. And and people do think that as long as their numbers look good on the medications, that they can keep doing what they were doing before. And and what happens is your condition actually deteriorates and you need more medication. You know, they, they have to continually add more or you get to the point where you need surgical intervention, you know, stents, mm-hmm. bypasses, all of that. But they're not a free pass. I mean, they're important. Uh, we have to work with our physicians. Anytime we're going to make a major diet change or, or lifestyle change, we need to work with our physicians if we have uh, coronary uh, artery disease or any disease. And, and that's because we need the, them to work with us. And more and more right. physicians now are beginning to realize that this is really important uh, to their patients. Uh, it's not mainstream yet, as, as you well know. Uh, but it's it's going in a better direction. So um, my advice for people is to find a physician that will work with you. Um, Absolutely. And, and they are out there. Yeah, they're out there. Absolutely. And I think that it can be a learning process, not just for you who's making the change, but for the physician themselves. I've, I've talked to so many people who listen to the show or watch the show or, or support PCRM. And, and right. they say, well, you know, my doctor was just astonished by my numbers and the turnaround. And they said, well, what are you doing? And I explained to them about the diet and the doc's like, no way. And they're like, way. And then it, it just starts this whole incredible dialogue, you know, and that's just kind of how it happens organically. And it's the coolest thing in the yes. world when you hear those kinds of stories. Yes, absolutely. And and I was really lucky because I got referred to a cardiologist at that time who was also plant-based. Um, and so he used uh, basically nutritional counseling, intervention. Uh, he had a whole lifestyle uh, program for people. And uh, so I was really fortunate to meet him. He not only helped me health-wise, but also uh, became kind of a mentor. And he's actually one of the blurbs on the cover of my book. He gave me a nice blurb for my book. I think I can guess who this gentleman is, seeing as though you're in Houston. Um, (laughs) It's it's Dr. Baxter Montgomery, isn't it? It is. It is. Yes. He. Um, Oh, man, what an inspiration he is. He's really an inspiration. And so... There are physicians out there, um, you know, there are websites where you can go to look up uh, physicians who practice uh, integrative medicine or functional medicine. Uh, I mean, there are resources out there. So I just encourage people to, first of all, don't wait, uh, start your journey, but find a physician to support you if, if you have a condition. If you don't, be happy that your health is wonderful and just eat this way to keep it that way. Oh, 100 percent. That is that is some solid advice. And uh, I'll put in a a plug here also for the Barnard Medical Center. It's available in more than a quarter of the country now, telehealth visits. So um, if you're not living in the Washington, D.C. area where we're headquartered, you can still meet with our doctors or dietitians and and get your consult that way and and work your way toward health. And uh, I know that so many patients spread now all over the country um, are just seeing some remarkable changes um, by changing the way that they eat, changing their lifestyle. Um, but let's get back to you because your story is also inspirational, uh, as we were saying, and, and I just love it so much. Um, you are also an entrepreneur. So um, let's get a little bit of background on you. What kind of business uh, were you in? What, what business did you start and how did that affect, you know, kind of how you became this ultra inspirational, devoted, passionate human being that you are today? Oh, well, you're, you're really gracious. <laughs> <laughs> and kind. 
But uh, yes, I uh, started a business. It was a, a service business. Um, I was actually a janitor. You know, I had a, a uh, facility maintenance company. We did a lot of uh, cleaning for corporated, uh, corporations. We were in Houston, so we did a lot of work in the oil space. Um, and uh, so I, I did that for 35 years. And uh, we were in about seven or eight states. I uh, had about 1,200 employees at one point. And, you know, uh, Chuck, I did start to see the same health concerns, you know, with my employees. Um, mm-hmm. Many were people of color in that industry. That's typical. Uh, hardworking people. I mean, very hardworking people. Uh, but I could really see the need for um, the health uh, and nutritional education uh, that sometimes people really didn't have access to. Um, and so that kind of fueled my my passion and, uh, beyond being concerned about my family and my immediate community to, you know, people outside that community like my employees at that time. Yeah. And your own health journey, of course, is going to, you know, make you privy to being able to see that. Um, and 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 you're right. I, I mean, I think it's it's just so hard until you really take the time and you're able to analyze what it is that you're eating and what's going on to your body. And it's just like being able to kind of, I don't want to call it an out of body experience, but just take a step back and analyze what it is that you're doing with your life, how you're living. Are you sedentary? What are you eating for breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And just kind of look at that. And then really you can make more informed decisions than you realize because you don't need a PhD or a medical degree to know that if you're eating McDonald's for breakfast and Burger King for lunch and then eating pizza for dinner, that you're probably not leading the most healthy lifestyle. And that's probably also why you're one of the three out of four people in this country, unfortunately, who is struggling with their weight. Um, But I love the fact, though, that you also had compassion for your employees and, and you're witnessing that. And I think that, you know, somebody who's had their own health turnaround can appreciate that struggle more so even. Yeah, definitely more so, I would say, because, um, you know, with black and brown communities, uh, minority communities, these health issues are so much more prevalent and so Mm. much uh, more devastating. And it's Mm -hmm. not that people don't know uh, necessarily some of the basic things to take care of themselves. Sometimes they're working two jobs. You may have two or three jobs in one, one family, one household. Uh, and, and they're coming home from work. They're tired. Uh, they've got to feed their kids. The easiest thing, there's a McDonald's, uh, not to call them out, but there's a fast food place on just every other corner. And, and many of these communities are situated in food deserts where that may be the, the most readily available source of food. And it's really difficult to even find fresh produce, for example. So the, the challenges for, I think, low-income people, uh, people who are kind of marginalized, uh, Black communities, Brown communities, Native American communities, as PCRM, uh, PCRM has highlighted as well, face some really difficult challenges that uh, many of which are, you know, basically based on uh, economics. You know, the fact that we're working hard, we don't have a lot of money, and we have less access to health care. 
And all of those things are coming to light here, especially within the last 18 months or so uh, here in the country. And I think it's it's really staggering. And people are, are finally understanding what a food desert actually means. It doesn't mean that there's a grocery store set up in the middle of the Sahara. It means quite literally that there is no grocery store right in the middle of an enormous city. And that is the most mind-blowing thing. Uh, for so many people. And, and you talk about working um, with indigenous people. And I remember being out in Flagstaff, Arizona for an event a few years ago and speaking with somebody. And they were explaining to me, Shara, that think about an area that's basically the size of Rhode Island, right? So a state. And they only had, I think it was two or three grocery stores for that entire area. And people had to organize bus trips just to go get groceries. How is a person supposed to have a healthy diet when they have to get on a Greyhound bus to go to the grocery store where they could just walk to the convenience store that's on the corner and load up on hot fries and potato chips? I mean, it's almost like you're being set up to fail at that point. Well, we are. And and not that it's intentional. It's just a a result of kind of where our culture has landed, you know, in, in a food system. Um, it's, it's not really designed for health. Uh, it's, it's food is probably one of the, the biggest, uh, economies, you know, for, for us in the U S and, and in the world. And it's driven by economic principles and, you know, companies have a right to make a profit, but the problem is it doesn't always serve the public interest. Well, let's talk about ways that somebody who unfortunately finds themselves in that situation, what advice would you have for them, uh, knowing that this is an enormous issue and they can only can control right now what they can control, but wh- where would you tell them to start, to start taking control of their health? Well, it, it really starts with the food. It starts in our kitchens. And, and that's the message in the book, um, Joyful Illustrious Vegan, Life Without Heart Disease. Um, Good health is available to all of us, but the foundation for good health is food. We, we really are what we eat. Uh, and just to advise people to that there are very um, budget-friendly ways to eat plant-based. Uh, one of the best sources of protein are legumes, you know, our beans, uh, peas, all different kinds of legumes, um, that are so healthy, chickpeas, uh, black beans, red beans, pinto beans, you know, lentils, uh, really, really budget friendly. Uh, And when you combine those with things like quinoa or brown rice, it makes a really complete protein meal that is very easy on on the wallet. Um, And then to encourage people to buy as much fresh fruit and produce as they can. Um, and to eliminate uh, uh, the, the stuff off the shelves, the processed foods. And when you do buy processed foods, uh, just look at the labels, you know, and if there's more to make it really simple, if there's more than four or five ingredients, you probably don't want it. And if you can't pronounce the names, uh, they look like they came from a, a chemistry uh, textbook. They probably did come from a chemistry textbook. So it's just common sense. And a lot of our cultural traditions are very plant-based. So sometimes it's going back to our original cultural traditions. For example, for me here in the South, in Texas, 
Um, I love my collard greens. You know, I love my black eyed peas. I love my cornbread. And all of those recipes are plant-based. We just have to tweak them to make them healthier. Oh, 100%. Uh, I'm from Southern Virginia myself, and I get so excited whenever anybody brings up collard greens and, and black eyed peas. It's like, now you are talking. That is a that is home cooking right there. Um, and that brings me to the, the question about soul food. Somebody once said, well, I, I used to eat a lot of soul food, and now I eat food that nourishes the soul. So that, I think, definitely fits your transition here and the message that is yep. in your book. But if you come at somebody like right off of the bat and you say, hey, don't worry about soul food anymore. Worry about food that nourishes your soul. I mean, that's that's a pretty powerful statement. So how do you introduce somebody to the concept of making that change and, and while still saying, well, you can enjoy your favorites, but just kind of explaining that the difference between the two. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I like that. I would probably phrase it a little bit differently. I would say continue to enjoy your soul food, but just make sure that it also nourishes your soul. Mm, so to think they have to move away from what, from the flavors, from the taste that they grew up with, that they love, that they feel validated by, you know, culturally, uh, we don't have to give that up at all. And in fact, one of the sections in my book talks about food traditions all over the world, you know, uh, whether it's um, in the Middle East, you know, whether it's um, the Mediterranean uh, area, whether it's um, Asian food, uh, whether it's Indian food, all of these foods are very easily adaptable to a healthy vegan version. Many of them are already vegetarian. So it's just a matter sometimes of tweaking it, taking away the animal products and substituting healthy plant-based options, uh, like the dairy, for example. Uh, that's one of the easiest to substitute. There's so many wonderful, uh, healthy uh, plant-based milks uh, that are very reasonably priced. They're uh, not expensive. Uh, so just tweaking the tradition you have, still honoring that, still enjoying that, uh, but doing it in a healthier way. And it, it's not that difficult. We just have to be adventurous enough and uh, committed enough to ourselves to try it. I love that. Be adventurous enough. And uh, you, you really you hit the nail on the head. And I love talking about this every time it comes up on the show is that, yeah, when you're, you're talking to somebody about this for the first time or really making any sort of dietary change, really, it's it's you're asking them to really even break up with some something that they have had the longest relationship with in their entire life, food, right? So you've been eating that since the day you were born. You have a love affair with food. You know what you like. In a lot of cases, you feel like you can't live without it. And so that is a big non-starter for so many people uh, when it comes to changing the way that they eat because they're so fearful that they'll never be able to eat it again. And so it's so important. And I love the way that you you phrase that, just making some tweaks so that you can continue to enjoy your favorites, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, uh, another theme that runs through my book is that this lifestyle change, this, this changing the way we eat is not about denial. Uh, it's not about sacrifice. It's really about expanding your horizon and finding things out there that are even better that you will love even more than the things that you think you can't 
give up right now. And don't think about what you have to give up. Think about where you need to go. Uh, and think about there's more in front of you. There's more joy. There's more health. There's more tasty food. You're going to like it better because what happens is our palates adjust. You know, our, our palates, as we, it, anytime we make a change, uh, it doesn't take long for our body to start supporting that change. And in, in a matter of months, sometimes even weeks, you don't even want the same thing anymore. Or if you want it, you want that new version that's actually not only healthier, but it actually tastes better. And so that's, that's the positive message I give people because um, the reason diets, quote unquote, don't work is that if you've ever talked to anybody that's on a diet, you know, the, the, they just talk about what they can't have anymore. And, and when you do that, you really, you really defeat yourself because the first thing that you do when you come off that diet is that's, that's the thing you can't wait to devour. So you can't look back. You have to look forward. Uh, and, and that's why diets don't work. And so I talk a lot about focusing forward about, the, the new energy you're going to have, the health you're going to have, but also you're going to take all that flavor and you're going to make it love you back. Ooh, I love that. Love you back. Yes, ma'am. Say that again. Love you back. That, that is a pro I'm going to isolate that clip. As a matter of fact, I love that so much. Um, Great. <laughs> Uh, so here's, uh, as we kind of wind things down here a little bit, I want to ask about when you told your family that you were switching from a vegetarian diet to an exclusively vegan diet, what was their reaction? Sometimes they can be pretty funny. No, they were funny. My family was funny anyway, you know, (laughs) they're, 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 (laughs) and so people are supportive of each other. We poke fun at each other, but we, at the end of the day, if somebody's trying to do something good, even if we don't understand it or agree with it, if it's something they think that is going to be good for them, we'll go along with it. And that's what people did. Nobody said, no, you can't do that. They teased me. You know, I remember my granddaughter and, and I mentioned to you earlier, I have two granddaughters. One now is has been mostly vegan for about a year. And um, the, the other one is mostly vegetarian. But early on, they used to used to tease me. They say they call me Nana. They say Nana, you don't eat anything if it's not green. <laughs> I would just laugh and say, Hey, but what about the apples? You know, what about the strawberries? You know, what about the bananas? They're not green. And so we would just joke about it. Right, right. Oh man. Uh, but uh, speaking of which, your, your granddaughter, sixteen years old, you were telling me right before we started to roll tape, um, already supporting the physicians committee. I, I'm blown away by that, and I say that, like humbly, like please thank her on behalf of all of us. That is just incredible. Thank you. Well, she got a really nice letter, and she showed it to me. You know, when she made her first contribution. And of course, her mom is supporting her. She didn't have that much money, but but she decided she wanted to do something for the animals, for the environment. Uh, and, and that's one of the motivations I think that young people uh, are really galvanized by. And so I gave her, you know, the link to the organization because you guys are awesome. You know, I love the work that Dr. Bernard does, that uh, PCRM does. Uh, just I've followed you for years and years and, and I'm so uh, thankful for it, for the organization. So she, I, I just gave her the link and I, I didn't think any more about it. And the next thing I know, she's telling me I did it. I did it. And she showed me the letter. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's I mean, 16 years old. I'm I'm so optimistic about this generation that is coming up and the change, the positive change that they're going to bring about in this world. Um, I'm I'm just I'm just thrilled to pieces about what's going to happen here over the next two, three decades. I think that it's, it's going to be a seismic shift. Um, and I think um, I just, people like your granddaughter, God bless her, uh, are, are going to do great things. And I would also be remiss here if I didn't thank you for your longtime support of the Physicians Committee as well. Um, thank you so much for that. Well, you guys are awesome. And uh, for equal time, my other granddaughter, who is also very passionate about those same issues, uh, is is on social media. She's talking about, you know, uh, her friends supporting the environment, how, you know, a vegan diet really helps to reduce gas house emissions, greenhouse emissions, excuse me. So they're both involved. And you're so right. Uh, this generation uh, has a lot at stake. And so they're really engaged. And I think that, you know, we just need to support them. One hundred percent. And so here's the thing about the your family that maybe people don't realize is that your your daughters, your own daughters, are very successful as well. I'm. I'm. Talk to us a little bit about what it is that they're up to because it, I read this in one of your your bios and I was blown away. I was blown away by what what was said. Well, you know, we're we're passionate by nature about whatever we care about and and they're no different um my my younger daughter actually is, is a novelist she actually writes um murder mysteries uh but with a particular uh social message you know behind them uh and gets people to look at at, at segments of society that we often don't interact with or don't understand uh and so she's uh, um written five novels uh latest one is heaven my home and that one's a New York Times bestseller. And then my older daughter um, wrote her first uh, book in 2019, a memoir called From Scratch. And it's really about food. Uh, she was married to a Sicilian chef, and it's about their wonderful experience together, um, international kind of thing. Uh, she met him in Italy. He was an Italian chef. And he, he passed away from cancer. And so... That her story from scratch is about resilience. Um, it's about love. It's about resilience. It's about adventure. And it's about food. And she is really incorporating a lot more vegan aspects into her uh, platform, you know, because she has a platform called The Kitchen's Widow, uh, The Kitchen Widow, uh, which is what they call Chef's Wives. Uh, and, and now that, that story is being made into a Netflix uh, series. That's what I'm saying. You have raised two powerful women like that. That is so cool. And I, I think you you subtly project power as well and, and the positive kind of power. Um, I was even thinking about how you use the term plant strong a lot of times as opposed to plant based. And there's it's a subtle change. You're talking about one word but strong, plant strong. That just projects this really healthy, powerful image. Um, do you get the same kind of vibe off of that? Oh, absolutely. In fact, I got it from Rip Esselstyn, who you you know uh, very yep. well. Yep. And uh, that's he, that's his part of his trademark. But but it, it really conveys exactly what you just said, that strength, you know, uh, sometimes we think that strength has to mean... Um, you know, coming from um, force, you know, 
coming from a lack of compassion, being tough. And really strength is, is more uh, subtle than that. You know, I think that the outward way that we show strength, which, you know, a lot of the cultural icons are the meat eaters, you know, the guys who go out there and hunt and kill it and bring it back home. And at one time, you know, that was, that's our human history. But I think that we are moving toward a more compassionate stage. We realize that there's a better way to live and, and we can do it in a way that honors uh, all life. You know, so plant strong means you know, instead of, you know, using our farmland to raise cattle, you know, for protein, they get their protein from plants. We can just get it directly from the plants and be a lot more compassionate, you know, about uh, how we treat other animals on the planet. All right. Final question. We've talked about your story, the phenomenal book, your family, just all great. But I think that the people who are watching this, the people who are listening to it, the exam roomies, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what is in her pantry? <laughs> what are you, what are your staples? <laughs> right. Well, I, um, I, I belong to, I'm in Houston, so I'm in a city, but I belong to a farm, uh, a CSA. It's a community supported agriculture. So I get vegetables uh, during growing season uh, every week. So I've, I've got fruit, you know, uh, I eat a big plate of fruit every morning, whatever's in season, whatever's in my fridge. I have a huge plate of that, um, grapefruit, uh, berries, melons, uh, uh, oranges, apples, pears, whatever's in season, you know, that's what I eat. And I'll have some granola with that and uh, a plant-based milk. Uh, I also do like, um, I love uh, pumpkin seeds. Again, that's how I get my fat. I don't do oil anymore. That's really important for people who are trying to uh, prevent a reverse heart disease. Uh, but I, but you need healthy fat. So flaxseed, uh, I grind my flaxseed. I mix it with some pumpkin seed. And sometimes I even eat that like a cereal, you know, just a little bit of it uh, because it is very concentrated. Um, and you know, oatmeal, I love still cut oats. I do, uh, in my book, I have a recipe for buckwheat pancakes and uh, those are really good. So that's, that's indeed. (laughs) Yeah. Buckwheat pancakes. I haven't thought about those and, and man, it's been a few years, but oh my gosh, my mouth just started to water instantaneously. Yeah, those are good. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank you so very much for all of your time and your effort and your energy and for everything that you're doing. And you poured your heart and your soul into this book. And it is absolutely positively one of the best plant-based books that I have read in many, many years. And it has just been such a delight to have you here. And you don't look a day over 30. So I'm hoping that you can keep this going for at least another 50 years. Well, you know what I always say, Chuck, I, and thank you for you're very kind. But what I always tell people, I said, you know what? It's always better to look good on the inside and the outside will take care of itself. There you go. <laughs> Words of wisdom right there. Words of wisdom. Shara, thank you so very much. Go and pick up a copy of the book. It, Like I said, it's just so great. Thank you for being you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you would like to pick up a copy of Shira's book, Joyful Delicious Vegan, you can find a link to order it right now in the episode notes. 
And also down there, you will find a link to my Instagram account, at WLC. And on that account, I have posted some photos of Shira. Now, she said that she feels like she's in her 30s, and man, she looks it too. Like, I want to see her driver's license. She claims to be well into her senior years, but there is no way you would think that when you see her photos. Just remarkable stuff. (laughs) Go check it out. Go check it out for yourself. I mean, there's just no way that she could possibly be well into her senior years. Man, talk about finding the fountain of youth. Love me some inspiration. She is certainly that. And I also love hearing from you guys, the exam roomies, when you send in your own stories about your journeys back to health. It always puts a smile on my face. Love hearing about what happened to you when you began to clean up your diet and eating more healthfully, living a healthier lifestyle, and becoming an inspiration first to yourself and then to others. They see the change that's happening in you. You become more confident. They become inspired. And therefore, you pay it forward. And that is what it is all about. Paying it forward and making the world a healthier place, one person at a time. Let's go ahead now and switch gears and head on over to the exam room news desk. We have new data today showing the effects that diet can have on COVID-19. This is a big study. A study of frontline healthcare workers in six different countries finds that those who ate a plant-based diet were 73% less likely to develop moderate to severe symptoms of COVID-19 once infected. In contrast, the odds of becoming moderately to severely ill from the virus were nearly four times higher among those who ate a high-protein, low-carb diet. The data was collected from frontline healthcare workers in France, Germany, Italy, Spain, the UK, and right here in the US from July through September of 2020. And researchers say the results held true even when they accounted for things like obesity and other pre-existing medical conditions, as well as lifestyle factors such as smoking and exercise. The study also finds that diet did not play a role in the chances that someone could become infected, only the severity of the symptoms if they did. Researchers concluded, quote, Our results suggest that a healthy diet, rich in nutrient-dense foods, may be considered for protection against severe COVID-19. And you can find a link to that study right now that was published in the British Medical Journal in the episode notes. How would you like to take part in one of the biggest nutrition conferences of the year? I mean, really take your health IQ to the next level. You can do that July 15th through the 17th when you join us for the International Conference on Nutrition in Medicine. There, there will be more than two dozen of the world's leading researchers, doctors and dietitians, and health advocates, all presenting the latest fact and evidence-based nutrition science. Here's just a few of the experts who will be speaking this year. Dr. Neil Barnard, of course, will be there. Our friend Dr. Alan Desmond, Dr. Hanna Kaliova, Dr. Columbus Batiste, Dr. Shireen Kassam, Dr. Robert Osfeld, Dr. Tim Key, and so many others. All of them will be speaking 
at the International Conference on Nutrition and Medicine, and many will also be joining us here very soon on the exam room. Now, at ICNM, there are 22 credits that are available for doctors and nurses and dietitians and other healthcare workers who need them, but you do not have to be a medical professional in order to join us. We want everybody to join us as long as you have an interest in health. And here's the really great news. There is a special discount available just for exam room listeners, the exam roomies. Use promo code EXAMROOM to save $50. That's EXAMROOM, all one word, all lowercase, to save $50 off the cost of registration and lock in three days of the latest science on nutrition, lifestyle, and longevity right now. PCRM.org slash ICNM. PCRM.org slash ICNM. Use the promo code EXAMROOM to save $50 off the cost of registration and join us for the healthiest three days of the year. And now we need your help. We are asking you, I am asking you to please join us in helping to save a life. Help us to prevent so many of these chronic diseases that we talk about week in and week out here on the show, the very ones that Shira was discussing today. We want to help those who need it the most. So let's get this information to them and you can help us do that. By subscribing to the Exam Room Podcast, by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever you get your shows. And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating. Because every new subscription and five-star rating helps us climb a little bit higher in the podcast rankings. And the higher we climb, the easier it becomes for those who need this information the most. Those who are struggling with their health and think that they can't do anything about it. It helps those people find this information, become inspired, and hopefully change their health fortunes for the better. And for today, that's all the time that we have. I want to say thank you one more time to the incredible, joyful, delicious vegan, Shira Aguirre. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>